Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and this season we're looking at the stories of Genesis, especially the early part, and today we're going to reflect on the the sixth day of creation, the creation of humanity, and what it means for us to be in the image of God. In all these podcasts uh, on Genesis, I'm, I'm going to have a few minutes just thinking big picture about how you read the Bible and then kind of getting into the, the meat of the lesson. So what does it mean to be in the image of God? Here we go. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything he had made, and indeed, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Before we dig into what it means for us to be made in the image of God, I want to not apologize, but explain again that in these Genesis podcasts, I might spend a little bit of time in the beginning with some uh, broader remarks about how we actually read Scripture. Because I've met so many people that they, they try and they, they want to love the Bible, they want to read it, and then they get into some of the parts of the Old Testament, including parts of Genesis, and they, they just can't move ahead. And seeming inconsistencies just bog them down. And so last week I spent some time, maybe even brought out too much technical artillery, but I really wanted to drive home the point that uh, the writers of Genesis 1 were communicating to us um, that, that they were writing something poetic to describe and inspire us to awe and, and imbue us with a sense of meaning in our place in the cosmos. And I probably could have done this more simply, but, <laughs> but again, I want to sort of start out these, these podcasts in Genesis with a little bit of a reflection on, um, on how we read this. And what I want to offer today as we approach the conversation about image of God is realize that when we comment and when we think about a Bible story, that we're entering into, especially in parts of Genesis, a 3,000-year-old conversation that has had people all over the world and uh, 
probably when all is said and done, one if not two billion people who have uh, engaged with these, some of whom are Christians, some of whom are Jews, some of whom are of other religions. Um, so we're entering into a long dialogue. And, and I think, first of all, this means that we're probably not going to um, think of something brand new. <laughs> Um, that it's probably only about once a century that somebody comes up with something really new in terms of how to understand a scripture passage. So I think a bit of humility before this is good, but also a little bit less fear in that we're not going to break it. I remember once there was this question that I had a friend over, and we thought of about angels and the devil or something, and I went and asked my dad it, and I was like worried that if we didn't, that somehow on this answer, like we had somehow seen some some hole in the whole mystery, and that if, if this, the, the, the house of cards called faith was going to come crumbling down if this question wasn't answered, and I almost felt guilty of even thinking this kind of question. Look, you're not going to break Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 or Scripture. It can handle the questions. They've been asked by countless people over countless centuries. Um, and again, you're not the first person to doubt or to be a skeptical or question what's going on. So welcome to the conversation here about these passages that have, especially this one we're going to talk about, Image of God, have been the, the locus, the, the focus, sorry, of tremendous energy and reflection by some of history's great minds. And I want to start out with one particularly brilliant mind named Thomas Aquinas. He's this uh, kind of a little bit around, shortly after the year 1000, uh, writing in what is today Italy. And uh, I feel bad even saying anything about what Aquinas says, because he's one of those thinkers that is so brilliant that uh, most people, when summarizing what he said, don't do him justice because they, myself included, probably don't fully understand what he actually meant. <laughs> but he was one who picks up off of an earlier writer named Augustine. Augustine lives in the northern part of Africa, to what is today Tunisia, near Carthage, in sort of the late, uh, in the, sort of in the, in the 400s. Um, and and uh, what he defines the image of God as the sort of the rational capacity of humans, that which distinguishes us from animals. And this, in some ways, is an intuitive definition, right? Because if humans are created in the image of God and animals aren't, then it sort of stands to reason that we should ask, like, well, what's the difference? And the, the seemingly obvious difference is that we have powers that animals don't, uh, mainly of the mind and our ability to uh, make things and communicate and solve problems. But, but over time, this, this view has, has um, been challenged. Uh, and, and I want to just sort of uh, challenge that, that basic view. And I mean, I guess maybe it's worth a question to you right now. What do you think is, is different about humans versus animals. If we have the image of God and other animals don't in the same way, at least, what makes us unique? And what uh, is kind of challenging about this is that as we do more research on animals, we discover that animals can do a whole lot. They can communicate. They have senses that we don't. They can solve problems. They can play. They can 
uh, seemingly make art and almost have their own sort of culture within sort of tribes, especially even they've done some stuff almost on whales wearing... There's fascinating stuff about animals and, and their capacities. And so if we're going to really limit it down and say, what can humans do that animals can't, um, it's going to get a little bit tricky. Another thing is, um, what do we do if, if it's going to be the mind and our, our rational capacity? How many of you have met somebody in your life who has real cognitive disabilities? Um, would we want to say that somehow they're less in the image of God? And some of the most beautiful people I've ever met are people that have severe developmental delays or disabilities. Uh, and, yeah, I would never want to say that somehow I'm more in the image of God because I don't have those uh, developmental challenges. So there's a, there's a way in which um, this just gets muddy, and, and it's sort of... So I think there's, there's a number of, of, again, a way in which we want to move beyond that. So what might it mean to be in the image of God? Well, another thinker over, over history was uh, Martin Luther, uh, writing in, again about like 1500 in, in northern, uh, the northern part of uh, Germany. And he sort of picks up on this Aquinas and Augustine, and he offers a critique. And, and what he wants to do is he basically says, look, even Satan is capable of rational thought. So if reason is what makes us in the image of God, well, you know, then, then Satan is the most in the image of God of anybody. And then he offers, and basically for Luther, he wants to figure out how um, we can have an image of God that somehow is also fallen. Because for Luther, again, the, the fall is, is really the, the sinfulness of humans and, and ultimately justification by grace through faith are really important. And so Luther's critique of, of Aquinas is that the, the rational, he, he doesn't totally leave that but he and he agrees with with uh, Aquinas about the difference between us and animals. But he wants to insert into there um, a sense that it's somehow about righteousness or a right relationship with God. That to be in the image of God means that we are in right relationship with God. And that's a that's a huge shift in terms of moving from sort of. R- a rational definition of image of God to a relational one. But I think it's fair to say that, that Luther um, didn't push this all the way through um, to sort of maybe where we want it to go in the 21st century. Um, because what, what happens um, in, in the... In what Luther at one point writes about let them have dominion. And Luther, in 1500, is really comfortable with um, not only sort of social hierarchy, but uh, also just sort of the attitude of sort of humans over and against nature. And um, that's something that I think most of us would critique today uh, in terms of, one, the idea of dominion sort of about humans sort of towards each other within a society or against societies, but also sort of towards creation, but I think part of it is just that Luther's writing 500 years of less technology. And for most of human history, humans weren't really able to win against nature. I mean, we still really can't. But most people were sort of engaged in a real struggle against the elements for most of human history. And so this, this command, uh, this injunction by God to sort of have dominion, um, 
humans just weren't as, as capable. They were, but they weren't quite as capable of sort of the, the mass destruction that we um, saw uh, unleashed in both human warfare over the centuries as, um, as well as, again, against the environment. So, uh, so I think it's then, so again, we're sort of in this historical sort of just stopping down like every 400 years. So where are we now in the 21st century thinking about the, the image of God and, and some of these, this language about rule and, and dominion? Well, first of all, part of what, what happens is that there's always study going on of, of the ancient Near Eastern religions and, and what was actually happening. And, there's, and you have to always be careful because, again, people imagine the whole thing falls apart. You discover that you know, some word meant something as if like all, everything rises or falls on this. But I think in this case, there's been a broader study across different sort of religions in that time. And what they're discovering is that the word image didn't uh, refer simply to a piece of art, but that, first of all, there could be like an idol of a god in the temple. But that idol was was uh, understood to, um, in some ways, embody that divinity um, like if you did something in front of that idol, it was as if you were speaking directly to that god. That, that idol, that image, that icon of the god became sort of a mirror or a vessel or a channel to that god. Likewise, there, um, in Egypt, they would, they would even, I think it was Egypt, I want to be careful here. Um, they, they would talk about how these governors rep- were sort of the image of, of Pharaoh. In, in the sense of the, the governor would be the icon, the idol, who represented the sort of the higher up and would carry out the duties of the higher up on behalf of the higher up. So when, we, when God is commanding us to be angels, this is, is sort of saying, sorry, in order to be uh, made in the image of God, what this is saying is that we have a role. So this is a role definition of the image of God, and that our role is to represent God and carry out God's actions relative to creation. And so then this might sort of force us back. Well, let's look at the passage. What then is this role about? And part of it is this idea of ruling and having dominion, which have often been interpreted in um, very sort of aggressive conquering ways. But the the text provides us another way to think about that. And that is that earlier, the sun and the moon are both assigned the task of ruling over the day and over the night. And what does the sun and the moon do? But they provide structure and they create space for light and life. And and so that then to me is, is really, I think, what's going on here. God is in this whole act of creation in in Genesis 1, bringing order out of chaos, providing structure. And in that, then, this becomes our task to create structure, to bring order out of chaos, to make life possible for other beings. And and in so doing, uh, this is how we fulfill the image of God, again, this role way. Now, we don't do it because we're fallen, but this is the role. And if you really think about it, um, to, 
this is this way of sort of understanding as a role allows us to move from an individual to a communal understanding of role of image of God. For God says, "Let us make humankind in our image." Um, I'm going to avoid sort of the sort of a whole lecture on Trinity or other stuff there, but just this sense of relationship that it's not just one individual in my capacity, but again the collective capacity of us all. And if you think about it, then in terms of what gifts humans have that animals don't, which animal of all the animals could be tasked with the stewardship project of of Earth? Really, only humans. Doesn't mean we do it well, but we're the only ones who could even have this this capacity to organize, to bring structure, to bring things under control, and so forth. So the the twentieth. Uh, 20th, 21st century has sort of seen a real shift away from a rational, um, sort of then building on, and I could even again trace it back to Luther, but some of this righteousness relational understanding of image of God, but then expanding it to say it's about a role that is, is about having a right relationship with God that allows us to have a right relationship with creation and with then each other. And in fact, that sense of a right relationship with each other is picked up by Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr., for him, the idea that we are in the image of God is a profound thing because it means that all people, black or white, whatever race, are made in the image of God. And, and uh, King is going to draw on this to kind of sort of hold it up to white Christians in America and say, we're all made in the image of God. And he can even point back to sort of the founding documents politically of America that sort of we hold these truths to be self-evident. But, but this biblical basis for it of a, a, of a human equality that we all have, nobody is more or less, we're all in the image of God. And that for King, then, our role and our task becomes then to uh, use the gifts that God has given us to create the beloved community that he said. So uh, there's a a long trajectory here of reflection on image of God. And I I wanted to invite you into that, you know, thousand-year-old conversation that has, you know, moved in, in terms of, uh, of reflection. And, you know, 200 years from now, some other technology, somebody's going to be sort of saying like, hey, this is where we're moving now theologically. Um, so what does it mean now to be in the image of God? What might we have that, that other animals don't? What might not just one individual, but collectively all of us have? And I, I would offer that we have this capacity, the intellectual and spiritual capacity for the stewardship task of, of creation and of being in right relationship with each other and with um, creation reflecting God's gifts to us. So I hope that was some, um, some food for, for thought for you, uh, a nibble in, in the grand meal that is reflection on uh, image of God over time. So I'll conclude uh, with a prayer for us. Holy God, we are amazed at your creation and that you have made us in your image. Help us more deeply to understand what this means, not only in our reason and in our elect, but in our bodies, in our hands, and in our hearts. 
Thank you for the gift of Christ who has restored us to your image. Amen.